Welcome to the Fashion Your Passion podcast, your one-stop shop to finding your passion and living it out right now. I'm your host, Sammy Beatrice, a college student and passion coach committed to helping you, whether you're in school or working a nine-to-five, find your passion that you can do every single day and help you love your life a little bit more because of it. On this podcast, you will hear from successful guests as well as solo episodes from your host, all about tips on how to find your passion and how to implement it into your life, even when you feel like you don't have enough time to. Let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. This is a super, super exciting episode, one I have been waiting a very long while to do, but I finally, honestly, just came up with the courage to ask her to come on the show, and I'm super, super excited to welcome the Scout Sobel to the show today. She is just a mental health warrior, a badass entrepreneur, one of my biggest mentors for the past almost, yeah, the past year. Um, a little bit more and I'm just super excited for you to be here Scout so welcome you're so beautiful I like that you had to work up the courage how many times have I begged to come on this podcast (laughs) 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 but I'm very very happy to be here yay so can you just give my listeners who don't know you a little bit more about who you are and what exactly you do currently yes so I am Scout Sobel My official title is the CEO and founder of Scouts Agency, which is a female-focused PR agency that specializes in getting women as guests on podcasts to tell their story and connect with new audiences. I am also the co-host of OKSIS podcast, which I run with my sister, Mads. And then I have my own podcast called Scout, which is just basically solo ramblings, musings about the intersection of mental health and entrepreneurship since I live with bipolar disorder. I've had a mental illness for the past 15 years and I'm very passionate about understanding how mental health and entrepreneurship really do intersect, not only for those who are mentally ill, but for entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs that have every book that they can read about how to balance a PL, but don't necessarily know how to ride the emotional waves of this journey. So that's really what I'm passionate about spreading, kind of, I suppose you could call it on my own personal brand, aside from running a bunch of rad women's podcast tours at Scouts Agency. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you've just been killing it with everything. And it's it's so wonderful just to like have someone to relate to in that sense. Like you said, like, you know, there's so many like businessy books out there, but there's not like the one where it's like telling you like, oh, entrepreneurship is going to be hard, you know, and it's going to sort of like, you know, screw with your mental health and like it's going to, you know, screw with your relationships and stuff like that. So that's definitely, you know, sort of a key thing to, I guess, bring out into the world. So where did this all stem from, right? So like you have so much going on and and like where did just like the ideas for pretty much everything just come from? How did you sort of create it all? My entrepreneurial journey goes back a really, really long way. I think that I was actually, I was first introduced to the idea of making my own money versus entrepreneurship super, super young. I remember being 14 and really wanting to work. I wanted a job because I wanted my own money because my own money felt like autonomy. It felt as if it would be a ticket to my freedom. 
I made my parents drive me around to apply to jobs. And then when they realized they not only had to drive me to school, but then drive me to work and then pick me up from work, they said, this is not going to happen. So I couldn't get a job until I was a little bit older, but I was never entrepreneurial as a child. I just remember wanting to have my own power over my own life very young. And that mixed with probably, you know, I had my first depressive episode at 14 and had a very, very long and still do relationship with mental illness. I think that within there, there was many, many years of my life where I was just trying to survive. I had to drop out of college when I was diagnosed officially at the age of 20. I couldn't hold a minimum wage job. I was a gelato scooper at Pacific Beach for so long before I you know, eventually quit that. I tried interning at C Magazine, Interview Magazine in New York, quit all of those things. And you know, once I went through outpatient and inpatient and tried so many psychiatric medications while my friends were graduating top colleges and getting really great careers right out of college, I was just struggling to figure out how I could hold a minimum wage job. And with that, I definitely took the unconventional route because I had to, and I was really lost. And I remember sitting in a coffee shop with a friend, flipping through an indie magazine. I actually got at McNally Jackson bookstore in Soho. I just come back from a trip to New York. And I just asked her, I said, do you want to start a magazine? And you know, at that point, I had been a little bit stronger. I had enrolled in community college and was starting to hold some responsibility over my life. But we thought it would just be fun. We would print it at Kinko's and pass it out to our friends. And something in my brain totally switched. And I stayed up all night. I think we can all relate to the entrepreneurial mania. I stayed up all night. I researched all these printers. And pretty soon I had appointments with the top printers in Orange County. I was like, I need 10 grand. I raised 10 grand on Kickstarter. And we did three issues of that magazine. And the third was sold in Barnes & Noble locations across the country, which they came to us, which was crazy. And we had Halsey on the cover. And so that experience was really the first time I was actually able to follow through with anything. And not only was I able to follow through with it, I wanted to follow through with it. And so very early on, I don't think the word entrepreneur was super buzzy, but Sophia Amoroso had just wrote her book, Girl Boss. And so there was a little bit of that collective conversation being had around women being their own bosses. And so I really, really early on throughout that experience recognized that I was not going to be able to work a regular job. That entrepreneurship worked beautifully with my mental illness since it was an up and down journey, which my brain was really used to, but it also provided such a level of responsibility. It was more responsibility than working a regular job, but it was so much responsibility that I couldn't quit because I was the only one who could do it. So in a way, I picked a career where I work more so that I can avoid working less. And that's really what started it in my mind. I went through a bunch of different iterations before I started OKSIS podcast with my sister, which was really the impetus and the inspiration for Scouts Agency. So I started OKSIS two and a half, over two and a half years ago. And six months into that started Scouts Agency when I really recognized the power of podcasting, not only as a beautiful storytelling medium, but as a really great, intimate, impactful form of PR. 
So I started Scout Agency six months into OKSIS and I was journaling the other day and my life two and a half years ago looks so drastically different than to what it is now and the amount of growth and network growing and clients I've had and success. I just can't imagine what my life holds for the next two years because things can you know, accelerate so quickly once you find what you're supposed to be doing. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to how I got to where I am today. No, I love that so much. And I definitely like, I mean, it's been so amazing just to sort of follow the journey of, of you and just sort of see that there is hope and there is sort of that light at the end of the tunnel of like, you know, you're having a hard season. Okay. Like things can actually get better and they can actually, you know, sort of move forward and progress and like you actually can succeed. And I don't know. I just, I think for me, like, I don't know. It just, it's, it's given me hope knowing that you, you growing and doing all these amazing things, like there's just possibility out there. And I want to know, like for you, like, how do you sort of, keep that hope for yourself? How do you sort of go through, you know, each and every day and and just say like, okay, like, yes, like, you know, maybe X happened. I don't really agree with that or or I'd want that to happen, but like, I can keep going. You know, I think looking at me now, I'm 29. I'll be 30 in a few months. And I think that my healing has had many phases. I think first it was just, let me just hold a job. Let me just be functioning. And then then once I was functioning and successful and had the survival basics down of, you know, financial foundations and safety, et cetera, then I was able to really look at my emotions. But it was only when I started loving life unconditionally and having radical acceptance for this human experience. I think that we want life to be easier. We don't want the uncomfortable stuff. We don't want the painful moments And if we don't want those, it's really hard to go through them because we're resisting the fact that this is even happening to us. We're upset at God, the universe, whatever you believe, or if you believe nothing, that these things are happening to us. And we're in this victimhood mentality of why did this happen to me? Why does this feel so challenging? Why is my life like this? It hit me when my first, my dog died in January, Lola, very suddenly. She was my baby from when I was very young. She really was my mental health support dog. She got me through a lot of dark nights. And I remember she died very suddenly and I was grieving and crying. But I said, I don't want to be anywhere but here. I don't want to be anywhere but in this grief. Because if I feel this sad that Lola died, that means one, I'm alive. And two, I had that much love in my life. Like I had that much love. And so I said, I want to be in this grief. I don't want to escape it. I don't want to ask why me. I don't want to figure out how to get out of it. You have to just accept that this shit's hard. You have to accept that bad things are coming. And good things, right? You don't have to be in a doomsday situation, but I know that the rest of my life, isn't going to be rainbows. There's things that are going to happen that are going to knock me off, but I accept that. And I know that I'll survive. Once you start looking at all of the challenging, uncomfortable things in your life as happening for you, for a reason, to make you stronger, to grow, all of a sudden you don't want life to be comfortable. I don't want life to be painless. 
And I don't want life to be great all the time. That's living on drugs, guys. That's not being a human. So I just want to be a human. I just want to be a human. And if I can accept and love the humanness of this all, that doesn't mean that moments don't feel so dark and overwhelming and stressful that I get so scared. It happened to me last week. I was like crying on the floor, hysterically crying. But I have this inner foundation that is so grateful for those moments because without them, I wouldn't be this person. I wouldn't be where I am today. So I think it's a few things. It's accepting that life is hard. It's knowing that those hard things happen for you and not to you. And it's saying the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Suffering stems from trying to change the things you have no control over. So if we can reframe our position here in this world, and I can continue into finding a more spiritual higher purpose, which I have found, but if we can just accept what life is, that it's messy, when the messiness happens, we can say, oh yeah, I chose, chose to do this. I chose to be present during these moments. I love that. That's really beautiful. I think it's so true because, you know, it's people always talk about like, oh, yeah, like life's just a bunch of like highs and lows. And sometimes, you know, you just feel like you don't want to sort of experience another low like ever again. You know, it's just that perspective shift of like, no, like they're all going to happen no matter whether you want them to or not. It's just the way that you deal with them. You know, I love that a lot. How is for you entrepreneurship and sort of, you know, like, I guess just education in a sense, like how have the two meshed if they have and how has maybe like one led to the other? Because you mentioned before, like you did drop out of college, you know, for your mental health, you know, but like, did you go back and like, what was that process like? Yes. So I dropped out of college my sophomore year, my junior year, sorry, first semester, junior year. And then I did go back because that's what you do. You go back to college and you get a degree. And I was given a career opportunity a semester before I was supposed to graduate, like a heavy semester. So let's say a semester and a half, two semesters ish. I could have done it in one. And I dropped out to pursue that career opportunity. And I told my dad, you know, I transferred to UCSD to do two last years. And I told him, I said, you know, if I get a job offer, I'm going to drop out. And he understood. He knew why. I think we need to put into perspective the college experience. If I could have stayed at Sarah Lawrence College, which is where I was when I dropped out, I would have stayed the four years and graduated because it was an environment that nourished my soul so completely, that challenged the way I view this world, that challenged the way I view culture and society and my creative voice. It was collaborative and creative and so me. The education was so me. I would have graduated there from there in a heartbeat. By the time I got to UCSD, I was graduating to graduate. For fuck's sake, I was reading English literature from the 1700s. That was my major, guys. That, and, and at that point, I was like, this has zero correlation to what my career is. It just does. And while I am so grateful for the opportunity to study English, British literature, believe me, that is 
amazing that there is a world where I could just do that for years and that I'm privileged enough to be able to do something like that. I noticed that at that point I was staying in college to meet a quota. So other people could have a certain perception of me and what I was capable of. At that point, I was taking 21 units and I was working 20 hours for a startup that I was a minority owner in. And the owner, the majority owner wanted me to go full time and it was an opportunity I couldn't refuse. And so I don't think that college had any, any influence over my career today. I don't think that it has helped me at all. When people say they study entrepreneurship in college, that doesn't make sense to me. That's not how you learn entrepreneurship. You can study business to be like a business manager in an already established business, but studying entrepreneurship is like studying to paint, but never painting. It just doesn't really make sense. So my hope and dream for this world is that one day kids don't feel as if they have to spend four years studying, but rather they can do apprenticeships or other types of things that really, really get them into their purpose, into where their zone of genius is, into their inspiration, into their creativity, instead of wasting four years studying X, Y, and Z that has nothing to do with what they want to do. And then they don't actually use it or apply it into their career at all. I am a huge fan of higher education because society needs education to keep going. I am not a fan of an institution that makes you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars so that you can enter a job market with skills that you do not have because they did not teach them to you in those four years. So I completely recognize the fact that a lot of people have to go to college to get the job they want. That's a like an A plus one plus one equals two that I would rather not have. I would rather that not be the reality for so many. And I'm saying this as someone whose college was paid for. I can't even imagine someone who has to get in all this debt to come out and find out that their college degree didn't teach them anything about their job, but just got them an interview because it says something on a paper. So for me, I think that by the time I have children and they are older, I hope that the system is different. I hope that my children have the opportunity to do other things and that having a college degree is not the ticket to the job market. I just don't think that works. That's my dream and hope for the future. Of course, if you're a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, college is great. But if you're an artist, sorry, an entrepreneur, it's just not necessary. The biggest education, I think as an entrepreneur, you are hungry for education because you need it to survive your business. And there are so many resources out there that are in book form that are free on the internet that it's pretty wild. Like Donald Miller's book changed my business and really, really increased my revenue within three months. Jessica's Wags B for your personal brand. Jenna Kutcher hosts masterminds constantly about how to raise your newsletter. So there's podcasts and podcasts and podcasts. We have access to Tony Robbins. We have access to Dean Graziosi, Ed Milet, Jenna Kutcher, Sophia Moroso. These are people that we have access to now. And so while I believe in education, I don't believe in the college institution and how it chains our youth's future to a very, very strict trajectory that doesn't, in my opinion, one plus one doesn't equal two in the college system, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I always have been, you know, talking about how like the system just needs to sort of rework itself, you know, because a lot of the things like, 
just to spend two years on sort of like not like generalized classes just to be able to get to like the ones you actually you know sort of went to college for is like it doesn't make any sense at all I think in in my perfect worlds like Mm -hmm. a baby step I think that would be really great is that two years of community college gets you in the door for an entry-level job it's highly affordable. You can live at home for those that are financially strained. You get a higher education. Maybe it's just concise and a little bit more concentrated. And then people are ready for the job market. I think that's so much more attainable and so much more valuable for people than the kind of, you know, the ticket's expensive to get into the job market. And it's not, the ticket doesn't always match what the job market is. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you have to keep going too, you know, because you get your bachelor's and then it's like, oh, like this job is requiring a master's too. So you have to keep going, keep going. And it's like, when does it end? You know, like when do I, you know, sort of stop with all of this? I will say that I applied for jobs for like a a month (laughs) somewhere (laughs) when I was like 25. And I had experience working because I had my magazine and then I worked for the startup, et cetera. So I had the experience. I had the resume. I just didn't put my education. Nobody asked me. <laughs> but I can imagine if you don't have experience, they probably would ask you where you're where you're right, at. of course. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah, it's that, you know, if you have experience, then like they won't look at the education piece and see you don't have it because honestly, for me, I feel like experience is very sort of equivalent to education in a sense, because I mean, you're learning by doing instead of just like sitting there. So, you know, I definitely would see that how, you know, that could be. Yeah. So when, when I have kids, I'm going to start a college fund right when they're born. So they have the option if they want to, that's the whole thing is like, if it serves you and it's your highest purpose, go to college for 10 years, dude, like do you, that sounds great. But I also want my kids to know that that fund is also available for if they want to start a nonprofit, if they want to travel the world, if they want to use it for five years to live while they apprentice and intern at all top places to learn. I want to provide my kid with a freedom, a flexibility to to look inside and says, what lights me up? What serves me? Where do I want my life to go? And to have those that freedom and that options, which I which I know is is you know a very privileged thing to be able to have. But that's my dream for my kid. I love that. That's beautiful. Wow. I like you're amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your recent rebrand of Scouts Agency because I want to sort of just like honestly just know what the process was like and sort of you know why you felt so called to rebrand and sort of like how do you feel now that you've done it and sort of like what are sort of your biggest dreams moving forward for Scouts Agency? Yeah so the rebrand was really exciting because I felt as if for the first two years of Scouts Agency I wasn't really concerned with us as a digital storefront so I didn't really understand how social media could bring me clients unless I invested a lot into Instagram, unless I had an agency running it, unless it was all these things. And to be honest, Instagram curation and running doesn't super excite me. So I was focusing more on, we just need to build the revenue. We need to build the client experience. We need to build the operations of the business before we have this digital storefront that speaks volumes. And so we got to a point where the client work was really streamlined. The revenue was good. Like, We were having people coming to us. It felt as if the business was starting to really run itself. I expanded my team. We are a team of four total, including myself now. And so 
I was really ready, I think, even just on a confidence level to really show the world what we do and to really show the world our services and our results, et cetera. And as I was reading Building a Story Brand, which if you are an entrepreneur or have your own business, you have to read that book. He talks about communications campaigns. And when you have new news, really any news, creating a communications campaign around it is such an effective way to remind the people in your circle that you exist and that will drive revenue. So I read his entire book. He taught me how to organize a website, how to come up with a phrase, how to really, really communicate to a prospective client what you do and why they need. He talked about how people really need to be reminded over and over and over again to apply here, to click here, to link in bio. Those CTAs, which I thought were really stupid, actually have a very psychological purpose and they need to be reiterated over and over and over again. And so after I implemented all of his stuff, we did the aesthetic rebrand and we had the new messaging on the website, the new messaging in our Instagram captions. We set up, I mean, he even talks about what questions to ask when you get a testimonial. Don't just ask for a testimonial. Ask, how were you transformed by my services? And I'm not going to go into everything he says, just go read his book. But when I did that, I felt as if we were coming out with a very strong brand message, a very strong digital forefront storefront strategy. And in announcing the rebrand, we also talked a lot about our services. And we also said that we streamlined the application process and we got a bunch, a bunch of inquiries to work with us. So it was a really great way, I think, for us to stand out and say, okay, we've been doing this for two years. Our results are pretty great. Not pretty great. They're fucking fantastic. We have amazing clients, the best in the game. And so here we are, and this is what we look like in brand form. And I think that just made us more official. It really allowed me to confidently stand out as a CEO and as a founder. And now, you know, our digital storefront is a really big part of our strategy in attracting new clients. We are also building community through newsletter. We now have a newsletter that comes out every single week on tips to uplevel your brand or get your voice heard within the digital landscape. And in that community building, I guess Scout's agency up until now has been a private one-on-one client service. We only work one-on-one with clients. We are expanding that significantly this year. We are coming out with a course for the woman who might be in the beginning of her brand and isn't ready for a monthly retainer, but is ready to roll up her sleeves and do the work herself. We will literally guide you through our entire process of how we have booked over 500 podcast episodes in the last two years. So that's going to be available the newsletter. So we're creating more community and more services at different price points to serve more women. That's really going to be our main focus. Yeah. It's so special what you you guys do too, because like, yes, like you can go to sort of a typical PR firm and they can, you know, find like a podcast for you to be honest of like that but it's like that's what you guys like focus on you know and it's like that's so it's unique in a way because it's it's like I don't know I just I don't I've never seen like any other sort of you know PR agency like have that sort of focus and and expertise in that area so I think it's really neat you know sort of that that's the thing and I think it's definitely like the newest thing people are like wanting to, you know, hop on, which is super, super exciting. So I know, you know, like for me at least, like just podcasting, whether it's me running my podcast or being on podcasts, like it's changed my life, you know, and it, it's done so many wonderful things for me. And just 
I don't know. It just, it's amazing what you guys do for sure. So I was super, super excited to see that rebrand play out. And I'm just excited to see where everything goes. It's, you know, yeah, it's a good time for sure. (laughs) It looks so good, huh? The rebrand looks so good. It literally looks so good. Like I like when the first time I like looked through the Instagram after it, I was like, it looks so clean and like fresh and just like ready to like just I don't know, like just take over Instagram, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Been, it's been so fun. And, and that's really, you know, power to my team. Danielle runs the Instagram right now. And so I think that as someone who went from a solopreneur to managing a team, it's so great to be able to understand where you, you know, that's an energy suck or you're not going to do it or your passion's not there and to find people who love doing it and to empower them to take the reins on that. So that's been been really fun to see. Yeah, that is that is the best when you can, you know, give something off to someone who, who loves to do it. I Ugh, it makes you so happy when like it's like oh I hate doing this thing and then you're like oh you actually like doing it here you go have a great day you know it's just like totally. it's a win-win all around <laughs> yes 100 percent and yeah and managing a yes. team is a whole other struggle in itself but yeah. when you really think about how you can divide and conquer it's very powerful Absolutely. Yeah. It definitely has given me a run for my money for sure. I I didn't really realize, you know, sort of like the amount of energy that it takes from you. But, you know, it's uh, you just got to keep chugging along and just go with it. Yeah. (laughs) And see where it takes you. What is your like biggest piece of advice for someone who is sort of just like stuck? Right. And they're just like, I don't know how to move forward. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, where can I go from here? Before I give advice on that, I do want to say that the advice that I'm going to give is not going to be blanket advice for everybody because being stuck has a lot of nuances. Is it financial stuckness? Is it emotional stuckness? I'm going to talk to the person who is emotionally stuck and can't move forward and just bluntly say, you are the only thing that's standing in your way. It's nothing but you. And I don't mean that in a blaming way. I mean that in an empowering way. Because if it's you that's not moving, guess what? You have control over you. So you actually have the control to move forward. To feel stuck is a choice at some point. There are too many resources out there. Too many people who will support you. Too many books, podcasts, online communities, physical communities that can support you through finding your purpose, getting out of your mental health, et cetera. If you are stuck at a point, we can be stuck and not choose it, right? But at a point, you're choosing to be stuck. So stop asking why you're stuck. Find one thing to do that makes you feel good or makes you excited. Understand you're going to feel uncomfortable. Gear up, accept it, move forward. No amount of money that you can pay a coach or a therapist or a doctor to prescribe you something is going to move you forward but you. So where are you getting in your own way? And I know this feels blunt. And if you feel defensive, ask yourself why. Are you comfortable being stuck? Because when I was stuck, it was very comfy. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to 
take responsibility over my own life. I didn't have to figure out my purpose. I didn't have to deal with what was happening in my mind. I could look the other way and say, well, I'm stuck. And it was comfy there. But I'm telling you, it's better out here. So ask yourself, in what ways am I keeping myself stuck? And don't beat yourself up for that. Don't feel guilt or shame. We all do it. That's how we get out. Everyone who pushes through got to a point where they realized they were the only one standing in their own way. They had to get to a point where they realized that, oh, I actually have control over my life in many ways that I'm not seeing. So that's what I would say. I love that. That's beautiful. Before we roll into the final question, just tell everyone where they can find you on the web, on social, just all the places. Yeah, you can find me. Um, the best place is on Instagram at Scout Sobel, S-C-O-U-T-S-O-B-E-L. There you can find in my bio links to Scout's agency, links to Scout podcast and OKSIS podcast, as well as I have a link tree if you want to sign up for my newsletter, apply to work with us at Scouts Agency, all the stuff is all available. And then I would recommend getting on my newsletter because I am coming out with a book this year and I'm not announcing it until drop date. So if you are interested in that, because it was something that we talked about in the beginning, which is really the emotional guidebook for entrepreneurs. Yeah, just follow me, subscribe, all the things. Yes, yes. And all the links will be down below so you can easily click and head over. For the final question of this podcast, this is a question that I've asked every single guest who's ever been on. But based off of the title, which is Fashion Your Passion, what is one tip that you would give those who are dreaming based off of how you have fashioned your passion? The one tip. I would say to follow the part of you that is magical and not rational. When you're trying to find your passion, there's so many aspects of it that are irrational, risky, not safe, everything. There's a difference, I think, between being foolish and being super blind to reality and understanding that reality is a societal construct and that you get to go outside of those parameters. You get to take the unconventional road. You get to and deserve to do what feels good in your body. Wherever your energy is pulling you towards, your mind is going to come up with 10 million reasons why you shouldn't do it. You won't have financial scarcity. Someone's doing it better. It'll be hard. You'll look like a fool. Your reputation will be on the line. And then you'll have people telling you that too. When you're in that spot, listen to the magic inside of you. Listen to your gut and your intuition, which we've been told to turn off in so many ways. Because if you follow what feels good, you will be supported. It won't be super easy and shit might totally go wrong sometimes. I can't promise that that won't happen. But follow that magical part of you that thinks, is this crazy? Like, can I pull that off? Because if it came to you, that means you can pull it off. Or at least that means you deserve to try follow that part of you. I love that. That's beautiful. I love that. Great way to close out the episode. Scout, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on today. It has been a beautiful conversation. And for those of you listening, I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in once again to the Fashion Your Passion podcast. 
I hope you learned something from this episode. And if you did, don't forget to screenshot you listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, and tag me at Fashion Your Passion Podcast. I love hearing what you learned. As well, do not forget to scroll down and leave a rating and review. I love to read those too and know what you guys are thinking about the podcast. Be sure to tell all of your friends about this podcast because I want to spread this to as many teens as possible. Thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you guys next week.